Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spook. Girls, true crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you Hey there, Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica. I'm one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. Today we're doing another patron select. It was requested by Ashley E. Tara and I made a cute little joke that it reminds us of like grammar school because I was definitely Jessica W. for many a year. So I get the whole (laughs) Ashley E. thing. So thank you, Ashley, for being a patron and for picking this episode and continuing to support the podcast. We're very grateful for that and for all our patrons. If you want an episode like Ashley's, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls or hit the link tree in the show notes below. It'll have a link directly to our Patreon page. Okay, with that, I'm going to get right into it. I will say that today's episode is going to be a little bit more heavy handed. It is a case involving a child and some of the details can get pretty aggressive. We totally understand if mentally you're not in a place to hear this, if you need to skip today's episode, we still love you and support you and hope all good things happen for you. But if you want to, please continue listening. I'm going to be telling you the story of Adam Walsh. You might recognize the name of Walsh because if you have been in the true crime world for any number of years, you might know a show called America's Most Wanted with John Walsh. This will be John's son. Adam John Walsh was born on November 14th, 1974 to John and Reve Walsh. And at the time of his spoiler, he was kidnapped and killed. At that time, he was their only child. The family lived in Hollywood, Florida, which did not know there was a Hollywood, Florida. I did not either. Wow. I got really confused because <laughs> I read Hollywood and I was like, oh, they're from California. And then it was like Florida. And I was like, oh. All right. You know what's weird? They also have an orange Florida, and then there's like, you know, Orange County and stuff in California. I was like, oh, okay. It's true. There's (laughs) an Orange County in Florida. It's very, it's trippy. So weird. So weird. Florida just copies us. I don't actually know which state game person. (laughs) Probably Florida. So we probably copied them, but that's okay. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Which, from my understanding, that Hollywood, Florida is outside like Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. 
Adam was described as a happy, loving child, and he was the light of many people's lives, including his parents. You know, being six and an only child means that he had two parents to, like, give, like, this huge amount of unconditional love to him. So he was very well adjusted. He loved baseball and was playing t-ball. In fact, the picture that you mostly see is of him in his t-ball uniform. Aww. He's super cute. He's like a little freckle-faced cutie patootie. <laughs> On the afternoon of July 27th, 1981, Adam went with his mother to Sears, which I don't, if you're young, you probably don't know what Sears is. They shut down. <laughs> they shut down, but I don't think they shut down everywhere. Oh, they shut down even here. And we're always behind, so I assumed they were gone. <laughs> I haven't been to one in a very long time, Mm-mm. but it used to be the place where you would get, like, all of your appliances and stuff. Like, I remember in the town that I went to school in, they had, like, a Sears, like, extension. It was just the p- appliances in that town. So it was, oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Reve, I believe that's how you say her name. Reve had been, she had seen an ad for this like bronze lamp that she really wanted. So she thought she would go and take a look at it. So she packed up Adam and they went to the mall. And the family home was just a few blocks away from the mall, which is where the Sears was located. It is important to note that the two entered from the north entrance. It'll make a difference later in the story. When they arrived at the store, they walked past a group of boys who were playing at a kiosk for an Atari 2600 video game system that was on display. And because it was just a few aisles over, Reve let Adam stay with the boys to play. Because remember, this is 1981. People still felt very safe. It was within the same store. And the boys weren't all like six-year-olds. I think there were some older ones and whatnot. She says that she wasn't gone for very long, between five and 10 minutes, 10 being the max. And when she came back, Adam was gone. Took her just a little bit longer than I think she anticipated because they didn't have the lamp and she had to like ask to see if they had it. But it wasn't very long at all. When she finished looking, the time was noted that it was about 12.15. So she began to look around and couldn't find him as she began searching the store and she would end up finding a store manager and a security guard. The security guard had informed her that there had been a dispute between the boys over who would play next and that he would ask them to find their parents or leave the store. Adam was a shy kid, so he most likely wouldn't have argued with an adult, especially, or an authority figure, which he would have seen a security guard as an authority figure. But it just felt strange from the story he was telling that Adam wouldn't have asked like either help to find his mom or go off looking because he knew where his mom was going because she had told him. Mm -hmm. It would come out years later, in fact, that this wasn't the case. I think from fear of being sued is what I I heard, that the store security guard told Reve that he had asked them to find their parents, but in reality, he just told the boys to leave the store. And he actually was only a part-time security guard and was 17 years old. So we're not thinking like this is someone who is like some security like some people require their security guards to be like bonded like licensed and bonded security guards but this was just like a position within the store and he was a high school student yeah yeah when I was thinking like security guard I definitely thought like adult you know like a man oh you're thinking Paul Blart (laughs) mall cop mall cop (laughs) same page same page Mm -hmm. not the case so it did come out later that That's not what had happened. So what actually ended up happening is that he asked the boys to leave. And the assumption is that when the other boys left, it was kind of the consensus that Adam left with the boys. They think that when he left and then the other boys like dispersed that Adam was by himself. Now, it is noted that the boys were told to leave the way they came in. 
And they had entered in through the west entrance. So, like, I keep thinking back, Tara will understand this. Anyone, like, how JCPenney's was for us. How there were, like, all these different entrances. So, like, you'd have to, like, find where it was. That's kind of how I was thinking. Yeah. So they think that what happened is that he walked out, the boys were all there, and then they left. And then Adam didn't understand or he got mixed up and didn't know where to go. I mean, makes sense. He was so little. Right. When the police were called, they indicated what a lot of children would do in this case is they would just end up walking home. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I just wanted to let you, like, note that. So... Basically, the security guard, they were like, the security guard and the store manager were like, you have to go to the customer service department. Mm -hmm. You can't, like, we're not going to help you look for your kid. You have to go there. And so she looked and she went up there and she actually had him paged over the public access system in the mall. Like, they basically were like, Adam Walsh, come to the security desk or the customer service desk in Sears. And they kept doing this for a while. And in a good stroke of luck, Reve ended up running into John's mom there. Her name is Jean. So, like, she had someone else with her to like join the like search for him. Well, as time went on and they couldn't find him and they looked through the mall and they looked through Sears and there's at least a couple people looking at this point. After they had him paged, they ended up calling the police at 1.55, so about 90 minutes after he was first gone. Now, I want you to note that she called the Hollywood Police Department and their headquarters were located across the street. Literally, there was a parking lot and a road and then the headquarters. So one would surmise that the police would probably be there very quickly because they just had to like they could have walked over there. Like they didn't have to get in their cruisers and go like they could have walked. But it actually took them about 20 to 30 minutes to get there. And between that, about the 20 minute mark, this is when she called John to tell him. And John is like, she's like, I called the police. They haven't come yet. Or at least that's when she got a hold of him, I should say. And he was there in like two minutes. And he wasn't as close. Like, he was very far away. (laughs) He got there very quickly. Yeah, that's bullshit. So John and Reve personally believe that the the Hollywood Police Department botched the treatment of Adam's disappearance. They told John and Reve that Adam most likely got confused and decided to walk home, like I mentioned earlier. Now, I did say that they only lived like a few blocks. Like, it was very close. But he's a six-year-old. I mean, your kid is eight turning night do you think like if your kid was like lost that they would start walking home oh fuck no i feel like that's a good thing about where we are now i feel like it's much more common not this is not saying anything obviously bad to reve and john it's just like now i feel like it's more commonplace to like make sure especially in school too they do this if these kind of scenarios happen like here's what you should do like what you need to do like go find an adult you know etc etc which like that's what my kid would do my kid wouldn't just be like okay gonna go on an adventure and go back to my house now bye right (laughs) Especially taking into the account that they entered through a different door. I could see where, like, my brain would be like, maybe I should go back to my car. Like, if I got back to the car, mom will find me at the car. Because this is the 80s. Not everyone locked their car. So he could have technically gotten, probably gotten into their car. In fact, when they actually went out to search for him, there's a video and John says, like, they put, like, notes on the car that says, Adam, stay here. Mom, like, we'll be back. Like, stay here. We'll come get you. Like, don't leave. And they, they left the car in the mall parking lot. 
but that didn't really help. So the police began to search from the mall towards the Walsh's house and they looked in all possible routes, but they couldn't find anything. How far did they live from the mall, did it say? It said like a couple of blocks. We're talking like maybe a mile and a half, a mile two. I would say it's under two miles. Okay. Yeah. Like in the radius, got you. Okay. And, you know, I can't think of like being six and I don't know, like, I don't think I would have had like the thought process to like map out my way home. Right. I was going to say we can look back on it because we were young kids in this mm-hmm. generation. So, you know, like no way. And frick, as an, <laughs> even as an adult now, there's sometimes where I'm like, where the F is my car? Right. So just saying. <laughs> no, I get it. Like they kept looking for him and looking for him and they just were like, both John and Reve were like, we're going to have hope. He's going to be alive. They, they just had this feeling. So they just kept searching. They went on the news. They were talking to different people. And at this point, they were like, I watched a video with John and he said, once the sun went down, he knew it was getting bad. Even if Adam was just out walking around, like trying to find his way home, he's like, it's going to get colder. I mean, I get that like Florida in July is probably still pretty warm. But for a six-year-old, like a, a nice breeze could be chilling. Not knowing where you are could be scary. He could have fallen down and gotten hurt. So like he understood that like once the sun went down, it was getting a, into a bad situation. And then once the sun came up the next morning, I think they just kind of assumed that, you know, he's been kidnapped and we have to get him back. So they were like, you know, they went on the news. They were talking to people. They held press conferences. The police were searching for them. But there was no break in the case until August 10th. Well, technically not until later, but the next piece of evidence comes in on August 10th. And I'm going to put a little note here. So probably the next like 10 probably the next 20, 30 seconds, it'll be a little disturbing. On August 10th of 1981, a severed head was found in a drainage canal alongside Florida Turnpike near Venero Beach by Detective Ralph E. Littmer Jr., an unidentified deputy of the Indian River County Sheriff's Office. This is about 130 miles away from Hollywood, so it wasn't immediately connected to Adam's case. On the morning of August 11th, John and Reve appeared on national television. I think it was like Good Morning America. You know, they were saying like, we still think he's alive. We have hope. Like we're holding out that someone just has him and we're hoping that they will turn him back in. And they were offering a $100,000 reward, which in today would be $287,768.98. So it's a big chunk of change. Mm -hmm. And it was basically they would pay this upon his safe return. It wasn't too long after that that the remains was identified as Adam Walsh. His head would be the only part of his remains ever found. Now, it is said that because of Florida and because of animals and different things that there is a chance that the reason his body was never found is that it was scavenged. But official cause of death was asphyxiation, so he had been strangled. Now, police are like, what do we do? Like, who did this? And honestly, they didn't have leads for a long time. I'll talk about an interesting lead that they got. They got him right away, but the person wouldn't be identified for like 10 years, and it's going to shock you. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. So after some time, the investigation, the police eventually conclude that Adam was abducted by a drifter by the name of, and I've heard it pronounced Otis, but it's spelled 
O-T-T-I-S. So I think it's Otis Tool. So basically he abducted him near the exterior of Sears on that afternoon after he himself had been instructed to leave by the same security guard because he was being weird. He would initially confess to Adam's murder. And I'll get into all that details in a little bit, but I'll kind of tell you what he confessed to and then we'll We'll break it down from there. Um, He stated that he found Adam near a bus bench on the outside of the Sears in the Hollywood Mall. And according to Otis, he lured him to his white 1971 Cadillac. He basically promised him that there were like toys and candy and all that stuff, which is like now why we tell kids like don't take candy from strangers, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. He would then proceed to drive north on Interstate 95 towards his home in Jacksonville. Adam at first was like docile and compliant and... I think after a little bit, he started to panic because I think like it set in on him like this is not right because he's a little kid. So he doesn't know the difference. But I think like once he realized he was on the freeway and whatnot. So Tool actually ended up hitting him in his own words. Tool said walloped him unconscious. It's also said that he may have strangled him with a seatbelt to, like, make him pass out. These are all things that he said. Mm-hmm. While he was unconscious, Otis drove north on the Florida Turnpike to a deserted service road just off of, I'm going to say this wrong, I'm sorry, it's Ratterboro Road Overpass in the northwest St. Lucie County. And if you're familiar with that area, you're probably like, how did this happen? Apparently, there was construction going on around this time, and they had built like a temporary like service passage road for the construction to get in and out. So it would have been really easy for him to pull off the road and hide because there wasn't anyone there at the time. Again, this is another moment. Like, it's a moment, guys. If you need to skip ahead, check the show notes. Mm Mm-hmm. Once he got there, Adam was still unconscious and Otis would then sexually assault him. When I when I heard it, I was just like, oh, my God, he's a little boy. Like, that's he's a little baby. Right. Ugh. And then after that, he realized he was still breathing. And then he did end up strangling him to death with a seatbelt. And then he drug him into the backseat of his car where he decapitated him with a machete. Otis said that he claimed to dispose of the body by incinerating it in an old refrigerator when he returned to Jacksonville. Again, a lot of people think that he may have left him behind and that an animal had gotten him. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. He said at first he the reason he took him was that he wanted to adopt him as his son. But then he realized that he couldn't because Adam, like, rightfully so, started freaking out. They would look at his car and they would see that there was blood in the backseat and they would take the carpet. But unfortunately, later they would feel missing. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. As well as the car itself. What the fuck, Florida? We're going to say that the Hollywood Police Department were not the crack. Mm. You know, they're not the top. (laughs) They're not the police department you want solving. This is basically it. Yeah. So basically, oh my God, this guy. This guy is just like not a good person. And when I watched a documentary about him, they were basically describing him as like, he would be the type of person if you saw walking down the street, he'd give you, he'd make you feel uncomfortable Mm. just because he just like had this presence that seemed like there was something wrong. He was a confidant of a convicted serial killer by the name of Henry Lee Lucas, who repeatedly confessed and then retracted accounts of his involvement. Henry Lee Lucas is actually known as the confession killer because he just 
would be like, I did this. Like, the two of them. Oh, my God. But you should also note that Otis and Henry weren't just criminal partners. They were actually, like, life partners. So their partnership ran real deep. Otis was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. His father was an alcoholic who abandoned him at a young age. And he had a very abusive mother, according to him, would dress him in girls' clothing and call him Susan. He claimed that at a young age, he was the victim of sexual assault and incest at the hand of close relatives and acquaintances, including his older sister and the next door neighbor. He also claimed that his maternal grandmother was a Satanist who exposed him to various Satanic practices and rituals in his youth, including self-mutilation and grave robbing and he was dubbed the devil's child oh my god it's like weirdly interesting to note that when his mother died he was like in his 30s and he would like they would find him in the cemetery like curled up on his mother's grave in the morning like he'd go out there and lay on it Hmm. He said that he knew he was gay when he was 10 years old and claimed to have had a sexual relationship with a neighborhood boy when he was 12. He dropped out of school in ninth grade and began visiting gay bars, and he claimed to have been a male sex worker as a teenager and was very obsessed with gay pornography. He also claims that he committed his first murder at the age of 14. Oh, my God. He says that he had been forced to sell himself to a traveling salesman. And then when the encounter was over, he ran him over with the guy's own car. Oh, fuck. Right. He was arrested for the first time at the age of 17 in August of 1965 for loitering. In 1976... Otis would meet Henry Lee Lucas at a Jacksonville soup kitchen, and then they developed a friendship, and then a sexual relationship, and then a killing partnership, apparently. They would claim that the two of them had committed over a thousand murders. I said claimed. They didn't really. Yeah. My brain is like, I fucking hope not. Jesus. Right. And... They said that sometimes they did it at the behest of a cult called the Hands of Death. The police, however, discounted the uncooperated claims of the cult's existence. So they just made shit up. Okay. I really want you to realize that, like, these two men, a lot of times took, I'll talk about it in a little bit too, but they would just, like, hear stories and then just take claims for it. Gotcha. I'll talk about the proof of that in a little bit. But on January 4th, 1982, Otis barricaded 65-year-old George Sinnenberg in a boarding house where he was living and set the house on fire. <gasps> George would die a week later of his injuries he sustained in the fire. And in April of 1983, Otis was arrested for an unrelated arson in Jacksonville. Oh. Yeah. So he would then end up confessing to the crimes of this and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He would also confess that he had had a sexual relationship with George and that the two had had an argument and that's why he set the house on fire. So basically making a statement that it wasn't premeditated, that it was like a spur of the moment. However, two months later, Henry Lee Lucas was arrested for unlawful possession of a firearm and he actually boasted that Otis killed the guy on purpose and actually and then when they went back and they looked they realized that at the crime scene like there was an accelerant used mm, gotcha it wasn't just like ah, i'm mad like he actually like used an accelerant to burn down the house now in 1983 otis would go on to 
to confess to killing Adam. And Henry Lee Lucas would back this claim up. The police weren't sure what was a lie and what was true. I mean, they claimed to kill hundreds of people, but upon further investigation, they found out that many of the murders they were confessing for didn't have evidence to back it up or had evidence to back up that they didn't do it. Like, they had said that they killed all these people in Oklahoma and Colorado or like a couple people or whatever. Not sure of the numbers. But then when the police dug into it, they found out they were in Delaware because they literally had pay stubs. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You like time cards that like prove that they were there. So it was like, did he kill Adam? Mm -hmm. I mean, at the time they did believe that he did because he gave very specifics. One of the things that made them worry that he was making it up and just taking the credit is that there is a movie that came out about this. It's called Adam. It came out in 1983. It actually ran in 1983, 1984, and 1985. And I'll talk about it a little later and what it what positivity it brought to the world. But when it ran, it was like the next day is when he called in and confessed to the murder. They were unsure. So that's why they got his car. They got all that stuff. And oh my God, Hollywood PD. So they went and in the back seat was obviously like drenched in blood. Mm. So they got like carpet sampling, right? And of course, this is 1983. They don't have the technology to be able to even link it to barely to Adam. But they were like, okay, we should keep this. Well, they also had the machete and they had some other evidence like some hair and some fibers and stuff like that. And then it got sent to the crime lab. Well, there was a mix-up. Either they're not sure if the mix-up was at the Hollywood Police Department or at the crime lab, but all of a sudden, the shit's just misplaced. Oh, my God. They don't know if it's just misplaced or if it got destroyed. Ugh, yeah. Now, Tara, I'm going to ask you a question. If you were investigating a murder case and you were trying to get evidence, would you let the possible murder scene like the car because remember the seatbelt and the machete would you want the car like get sold and end up in a fucking junkyard fuck no fuck no anyone with a brain wouldn't do that but uh let's guess that's what happened that is what happened and it actually like so they ended up finding out that it went to a junkyard so the Mm -hmm. they were like okay let's go get it and then when they went to the junkyard the guy was like uh i don't even know where it is it's somewhere in there and it was like you know some of these places they have like years and years and years of cars and then they crush them so they don't even know they don't have any idea especially if it's something that's just junked right so definitely like palm to face on this thing well there's only been one other person who was accused of adam walsh's murder and when i read it i was like what the serious fuck it was the infamous serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. And the stuff that I read is compelling. I can understand Hmm. why people would think that Jeffrey Dahmer was connected to this case. Oh, okay. If you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, we do have an episode. Go back and listen to it. Yes. A couple years. (laughs) (laughs) But a little recap is Jeffrey Dahmer murdered 17 men and boys, most of them in the Milwaukee area between 1987 and 1991. We know that there were some earlier murders, but like, again, most of them happened. His murders involved rape, torture, necrophilia, cannibalism, and severed heads. So, like, that was kind of like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Same, same. Right. I say same, same, because that's what we say to my nephew. Uh, (laughs) 
sorry, fun little side story. When something is like, if he sees a picture of like, say I would be like, look, it's Tara. And then you were to be standing near me. We'd be like, same, same. Like pointing so he can like learn to, Mm -hmm. yeah. So now it's just stuck in my head. Same, same. (laughs) It's okay. But before Dahmer was Dahmer, if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. he actually lived in Miami Beach. We talked about this in the case. He was in the army and when he was discharged, he was supposed to like fly back to like Milwaukee, but he didn't. He actually went to Miami Beach and he was there at and around the time of Adam's kidnap and murder. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Quote from an article, it says, When the Army discharged Dahmer, it told him it could give him a plane ticket anywhere in the United States. Dahmer told the police he didn't go home to face his father, so he headed to Miami Beach because he was tired of the cold. We talked about that. That was something that was well noted. It's also to note that Miami Beach is less than 20 miles from Hollywood, Florida. So, very close. While living in Miami Beach, two eyewitnesses placed him at the mall the day Adam was abducted. What? Right. The first, and I didn't write their names down because it was very quick when it flashed up, but you can check the sources page and it will have the video. So the first was this guy. And essentially, do you remember how like Dahmer would do like the weird things like with his friends where he'd like get really loud in public and shout? He did that. He was like, hey, it's a nice day or hey, how are you today or something like that? Shouted at him. And the guy was like, what? And then Dahmer got closer, like arm's length away and then shouted again like he was 15 feet away. The guy got weirded out and was like, whatever, and like started to walk off. But then Dahmer walked off and he's like, you know what? I really should follow this dude. This guy seems creepy. So he followed him and the guy actually went outside of the mall and went into Sears through the west entrance where like the little toy section was. And so he like noticed that he went in there. Then later, uh, another man, basically he saw a man. Because at this time, they have no clue that it's Dahmer because Dahmer's nobody in 1981. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But he sees an adult man and a small child and that the child is like struggling or yelling at the older guy. I don't want to go. Leave me alone. I don't want to go. And then the adult ended up picking up the child and putting him in a blue van and then sped off, right? It's also reported that the, the sandwich shop that he worked at, the delivery shop, had a blue van that he drove. Oh, shit. Right? And so this guy didn't think anything of it because he was just like, oh, it seemed like an older sibling or maybe like a parent was trying to get this kid to go and like the kid wanted to stay and play games or something like that. Because like if you're not thinking like the world is a bad place, you're not going to see bad things in the world. True. It wasn't till 10 years later when Dahmer was arrested that the two men put it together. Basically, they saw the news article that was like serial killer caught and then they saw the picture and they're like, oh my God, that was the fucking dude. Both of these guys had told the police about this event, but it was like overlooked. Like, I always bring up the Lacey Peterson case, but this is like that where like the police didn't call back all the leads. Now, with this information about it, in 1992, the Hollywood Police Department decided to go up there to where Dahmer was and interview him and they did. And he said, I told you everything, how I killed them, how I cooked them, how I ate them. Why wouldn't I tell you if I did someone else? The investigator would actually just ask like this really weird question. It was kind of like they called it a softball pitch question. Mm -hmm. And they actually like brought him homemade muffins to like eat while they interviewed him. I know. And so the investigator says he asked, did you kidnap a freckled six-year-old Adam Walsh from a Sears in 1981? Nothing to do with it, Jeffrey Dahmer answered, taking another muffin. (laughs) That's so weird. No, I don't like it. (laughs) This is the article that I was like, what? 
Many believe that since he confessed to all the other murders and was very upfront, that this denial meant that he wasn't. But one okay. detective thought he was lying. Because basically, when Dahmer answered the question, he didn't like look at them like he had been when they talk about other things. He looked away. It wasn't just like a regular like, no, it was like nothing to do. Like he just you know, wasn't dealing with it. There was also another incident that was talked about. There was a woman by the name of Janice Santamassino who remembered seeing him. She said that once she saw a picture of him, she was like, that's the guy. Like, that's him. That's who I saw. And basically on July 27th, 1981, she was on vacation and she drove her daughter and son to the mall because they needed to get like shoes and swimwear and stuff like that. And she basically said that after almost slamming into the back of a blue van parked illegally outside of the west entrance of Sears, she parked. She said that she went in to get sandals for her four-year-old daughter and they asked if they could play the arcade games, which I'm assuming is around the same area that Adam was, like the Atari. And she said that there was a boy that may have been Adam that was there. On their way out of the toy department, Janice remembers that she looked down an aisle and saw a disheveled man and she made eye contact with him and then she just instinctively grabbed her daughter's hand and walked away because he just gave her a bad, uncomfortable feeling. Feeling. It was spooky. That's a direct quote from her. Mm. She later had heard the intercom for Adam and saw John and Reve like distressfully like looking for him. And when she went back by like the kiosk, the little boy was gone. So I'm assuming she's talking about Adam. Mm -hmm. She knew that the search had gone on and everything like that. So she called the police department. She called the police in 1981 and tried to report it. And then she tried to call again in 1996 after Mary America's Most Wanted had ran it, but she called the show and the shows, what they do is they contact local police department and basically like they forwarded it to the Hollywood police department and nothing happened. Now, as far as this, John Walsh doesn't believe there's any evidence linking Adam to Dahmer. But I do think this is something that, like, there are eyewitnesses there and there weren't really eyewitnesses there for Otis or Otis. However, the movie I'm about to talk about, like, though he got it, like, he was able to, like, say basically what they did is they drove him around. And they were like, is this the Sears? And they took him to like wrong ones. Then like, you know, and they took him to the right one. And he was like, this is the one. And they would take him to all the field tripping, you know, like taking him to all the sites. And he was able to be like, okay, this happened here. But when he recanted his story, he said that he just had already seen photos. They had shown the photos, like evidence photos. And so he was like, oh, yeah, it was by that bridge when I did it because the bridge was in the photo. We'll never really know unless the evidence is miraculously found. Like, who knows? Maybe they'll clean out a storage locker of files and it'll be in there. Maybe it's mislabeled. Who knows? But I want to talk about the movie really quickly. It premiered on October 10th, 1983, and it was based on Adam's kidnapping and murder. And the first time it aired, 38 million viewers tuned in, which in 83 is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. It was broadcasted in 83, 84, and 85, and it was followed by pictures and descriptions of missing children, as well as a hotline number you could call if you knew anything of them. So, and there was like a number that was like assigned to each missing child. So you could call and be like, it's this kid. 13 of the 55 children shown in the 1983 
broadcasts were located. That's amazing. Wow. Including an American rapper by the name of Busy Bone. I have no clue who that is, but (laughs) who was abducted by his stepfather as a child and was reunited with his mother after a neighbor recognized the photo of him shown at the end of the broadcast. So then the neighbor called in. So many parents who lose a child, some people just like don't know what to do with themselves. And John decided that he was going to put his grief to work and work for crime victims. So he, in 1984, he founded the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Now, this is an organization that's very close to Tara and I's heart because we do donate to it on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. We know that they do such amazing work. And just to give you a little stat, just the numbers, they have assisted in solving 1,145 cases. It's called the Team Adam. They have tracked and monitored 20,000 non-compliant sexual offenders. And they have over 14,500 children identified as children of uh, sexual abuse materials, like found online. They've like captured and destroyed that. So they do amazing work. It's not just putting mm-hmm. a picture up in Walmart that you look at sometimes when you walk out. It's they, they do really good work. After that, he also became the host of America's Most Wanted. That's how people know who he is in 1988. And he would help law enforcement officials track down hundreds of fugitives. In fact, they've had 25 seasons. Of that 25 seasons, they've had almost, not quite, 1,200 episodes. And they've helped capture over 1,200 fugitives. Wow. That's amazing. Right? It's absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. He's also been on several other shows. Like, he hasn't been on every season of of America's Most Wanted. He stopped for a while and then he came back um, and then he stopped again and and it's been off the air for a little bit, but it's actually coming back on the air on March 15th of 2020. You mean 2021? Yeah, 2021. <laughs> Sorry. I'm still, for some reason, living in 2021 or 2020. It's okay. So yeah, it'll be March 15th, 2021. Uh, Elizabeth Vargas, who's the other person who has either been on it with him or just done it solo, will be doing the revival of that. Nice. But he's been on things like Pursuit with John Walsh, or he's had like a ton of different things. And now he's actually working with his son. He and his wife had three children after. And I want to say that it's pretty impressive that they stayed married. They did almost divorce in 2002, but that probably is just a lot of stress and strain. But they like, Mate, they worked through it and they stayed they've been together like not many people like what this is the 40th so this is the 40th year so like imagine still being with someone 40 years after the loss of your six-year-old child like not not a lot of people survive it and the fact that they did it together and did it so publicly right they went on to have three different children and his son callahan actually works with him as a producer on his shows and actually is getting in front of the cameras now so that's kind of cool yeah In 2006, actually July 27th, 2006, after 25 years after Adam went missing, then-President George W. Bush signed the Adam Walsh's Child Protection and Safety Act into law, which created a national database for convicted child sex offenders, strengthened federal penalties for crimes against children, and provided funding and training for law enforcement to fight crimes involving sexual exploitation of children via the internet. 
So that's pretty awesome. Along with that came the development of Code Atom. You may have been in a department store and heard them say Code Atom because it's a program with the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. And basically, it's a powerful tool to help for lost or potentially abducted children. And your businesses can actually like have this. They can put it outside. You may have seen it like going into stores. It'll say Code Atom. You know, going in there like that, if you got separated from your child and you went and said, my child is missing, they have a responsibility to like essentially lock down the store so that no one gets in and out. It's crazy. There have been other laws in 1984. U.S. Congress passed the Missing Child's Assistant Act, which came from this because the Walsh's advocated and other parents of missing children also advocated. And it's just, there's just been so many things out of this case. Like through tragedy, it's had a very positive thing. The most recent thing that came out of this case was in October of 2016, President Obama signed the Survivor's Bill of Rights Act of 2016, which is helpful, you know, for survivors. And what we mean is not only just the victims themselves, but their families. Right. So the case is officially closed because as of December 16th, 2008, Hollywood, Florida police chief Chad Wagner, who was actually a friend of John and John was there, they announced that the case was closed and that they were satisfied that Otis or Otis had killed and murdered Adam. So the case is officially closed. They are not looking into it any further. They don't have evidence, really. And oh, just in case you're wondering, because he was a horrible, horrible human being. In September of 1996, he would die of cirrhosis of the liver and AIDS. So he died a very painful death. And to quote John Walsh, he died very painful and he deserved it. And I hope he burns in hell. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) He, yeah, no, if you watch interviews with John Walsh, he is very candid. Yeah. He's like, this is how I feel about this. Yeah, he'll say what he wants. I mean, I watched America's Most Wanted my whole life. I remember as a kid, that was something I watched and got into. And Mm -hmm. it's absolutely amazing when they would air a show and be like, this person, this case was solved because someone called it in. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, like, how many people see things and they don't ever say anything. Right. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I saw this guy, you know, dragging a toddler or a kid through a mall parking lot. I didn't even think to call the cops. Like, even though I watched on the news, a kid went missing. Well, I can't say I hope you enjoyed this episode because it's not much enjoyment because it's a sad topic. But it's interesting to learn kind of where I think our gener- terrorized generations, like, true crime obsession came from 100% and the case behind it and you know my heart goes out for the Walshes and they have just made so much lemonade out of the lemon they got because they've helped like I think just like his with his help alone it's like 65 children have been like returned to their parents and that's just the things he's done not just the things that like his uh nonprofit has done so yeah I'm constantly amazed what people have the strength to do. Yeah. So thank you, Ashley, for picking this case. I had obviously known about it. I knew that John Walsh had a son who was kidnapped and murdered, but I didn't know the details. And so now I do. If you want to have a case told, true crime or haunted, you can do so by joining our Patreon. There's a there's certain level. I believe it's our $10 a month and up. Get their episodes. So if you want to pick that and have an episode, you can. We are booked out to like August. <laughs> I know. 
goodness. If it's something that you really want us to do a case, get in now so that we can like get you on our schedule. Yes, yes. And please be patient. They will be coming. I promise. We promise. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and we will be back on Monday for a regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.